Welcome to First Formation, a weekday podcast for high church lowlifes like me, Logan Isaac, looking to get the fuck up and pray. This is where Pew Pew HQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hearty folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. A podcast for anyone who cares for soldiers and veterans enough to follow us into the mud and the suck. To hear the good news through grunts and with grunts, in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Psalm 121 I lift up my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you, your going out and your coming in, from this time on and forevermore. Isaiah 54, verses 11 through 17. O oh, afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, I am about to set your stones in antimony and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of rubies, your gates of jewels, and all your wall of precious stones. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the prosperity of your children. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. If anyone stirs up strife, it is not from me. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. See, it is I who have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon fit for its purpose. I have also created the ravager to destroy. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall prosper, and you shall confute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication from me, says the Lord. Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 34. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship was known, this I was unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, 
Now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged by, in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed. But others said, We will hear you again about this. At that point Paul left them. But some of them joined him and became believers, including Dionysus the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Welcome to the 19th Thursday after Pentecost. This is Logan Isaac broadcasting from the Appalachian Abbey in Knoxville, Maryland. This morning we read from the 121st Psalm. Um, Some of you may be familiar with its opening lines. I lift up my eyes to the hills from where will my help come. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And then uh, in Isaiah 54, um, uh, the... The second Isaiah, for those who are Bible nerds, um, I believe that second Isaiah, uh, or uh, first, second, and third Isaiah, or um, Primo, Deutero, and Trito Isaiah, are these hypothetical segments in Isaiah that um, that seem to be unique and distinct in in form and tone, and so they think that maybe there's three different major periods in the composition um, or collection of Isaiah. Um, And then finally, a reading from Acts uh, chapter 17, Um, and this is when Paul is standing on the the Areopagus. And before we get into um, the reflection for today, um, it's important to point out that the Areopagus is Mars Hill. Ares was the god of war, and Pegasus was is the name for a hill, um, or Mars Hill. And Mars Hill was the hill of Ares, and we think of him as the god of war. But in fact, it was also the seat of the supreme court. Um, the power of death resided with the community. Uh, capital punishment could only be decided and executed. Um, after a trial on Mars Hill. Um, and war, the god of war, um, represented the power to uh, do violence on others to include capital punishment and death um, that had wronged uh, Greece. Uh, and so when we talk about Mars Hill, sometimes we think that, uh, you know, and it's surrounded by God because you want the gods to bless your violence and bless your community and keep it safe and we think that the gods work on our behalf when we've been wronged. Um, That's not always the case. Um, And it ties in with the feast day uh, yesterday uh, when I had two sick children to care for. Um, Yesterday, um, October 16th, is the feast day for a saint um, in the Catholic and Orthodox traditions and I believe he's also He's recognized in the Anglican communion, but I don't think he's got like a, a formal like feast or, or lesser feast or anything. Um, and the name of that saint is Longinus, or Longinus, I'm, I'm never sure. But it's a Latin name uh, based on the word uh, longe, which was a long spear that you would carry into war, like a pike. 
and um, this individual is is a composite character. During the Passion in the Four Gospels, there is a soldier who um, is tasked with piercing um, the prisoners who are on the on the crosses um, or breaking their legs to make sure that they die because at least one of them, Jesus, was Jewish and they needed to be taken down before sundown and the Sabbath because Pilate didn't want to piss off the Jews by violating their um, burial ceremonies. Um, so they needed to be taken down and buried before sundown on Friday, Good Friday. Um, and so there's this soldier who goes through and he pierces Jesus' side and blood and water flows out. Um, later in the Passion, and it, it varies with each gospel, um, there is a soldier who stands at the foot of the cross after the earth has shook and the sky has gone dark and said, surely this is a man of God or the son of God, depending on which gospel you're reading. And the saint, Long, Longinus or Longinus, um, he is taken to be both of those people. The the high church, quote-unquote, traditions, Catholic, Orthodox, and Anglican, um, they make these two instances of a soldier, and they, they make one person out of that. So one person in those traditions has both pierced Jesus' side and been the most directly responsible for his physical death and also beats the apostles in confessing him Lord and Savior uh, by several verses, if not chapters. Um, and Long Longinus is one of the most narratively complicated figures in, in the Bible and in church history. Not all the traditions recognize him. Uh, it's not clear that he's a real person, even though, or like, historically, there's little to prove that it was one person and that they were around. The oral tradition um, maintains, you know, the, the stories that people pass down, but God knows how long it dates back to. The oral tradition maintains that Longinus, um, the blood of Jesus splashed on his eyes and temporarily blinded him. Um, and he left the military and became a monk and was later made bishop of Caesarea. Um, and if you go to, like, you know, Catholic website and look up St. Longinus, L-O-N-G-I-N-U-S, you'll probably be told that he was the Bishop of Caesarea. But we don't know that. We don't know. There's no other outside documents or accounts that, that verify that. Um, but we do have this oral tradition that suggests that this one person has these dual roles on, you know, vastly different sides of the spectrum. Um, on the one hand, he's guilty of killing the bodily Christ. I mean, you can't get much more fucked than that. Uh, but he doesn't blaspheme the Holy Spirit, so he's, he's not beyond redemption. Um, and then after Jesus dies and the earth shakes and the curtain tears, which he doesn't know about, but the sky darkens, um, he seems to have a change of heart. Now, some people have argued that um, the soldiers are like proto-hipsters and they're all ironic and He's looking up and like shrugging off, like surely this is the Son of God. Um, and following the dramatic display in the stories, that seems to me to be a, a stretch. 
Um, it seems as though the author or authors or community that produced these stories believe that in that dramatic moment, a dramatic conversion occurred. And that is that the person who killed the Son of God, the bodily form of the Son of God, um, was converted and becomes the first believer after Jesus' death. Um, and that's a lot of narrative weight and significance um, to bear on our shoulders as soldiers and veterans. Um, but Longinus has this, carries that, that load. Um, and it is a reminder that um, everybody, or rather nobody, is beyond redemption. Nobody, regardless of what you've done, regardless of the things you've been forced to do or think that you had no choice in, um, as well as the things that you did have a choice in and that you regret, um, it's never too late to recognize uh, Jesus' lordship. Um, and if you've, it's just kind of funny side story, but um, so his name derives from this Greek word, longsh, which is a, a spear, and it really is like a long pike. Um, and it wasn't usually carried in the provinces. It was usually carried to war um, because you wanted to be as far away from you know, the business end of that as you could. Um, and also keep your enemies at a distance. So this long spike or pike or, or spear, um, uh, <laughs> especially around the Crusades, they really get this romantic everything. They romanticized everything in the Crusades and the medieval period. Um, but the spear of destiny becomes one of those artifacts that the Crusaders are supposedly looking for. And a spear of destiny is this spear that Longinus used to pierce Jesus' side. Um, and apparently he kept it as he became bishop and like stored it away in, I don't know, some cave until somebody finds it. Helen uh, finds it. Um, um, and it, it caught my eye reading Isaiah um, about the, the weapons that it is God who's created a smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon fit for its purpose. And a weapon is a tool. The, the, a weapon, just like a tool, really only do, does the, the bidding of the person who wields it. And we think of weapons as only having one purpose. And with firearms, that does seem to be the case. I don't know what you can do with firearms other than to put holes in things. But um, to Longinus' surprise, a weapon of war was used to inspire you know, legions of Christians uh, and Christian soldiers, and not necessarily in a good way, but others in a good way. Um, he is a saint. He was beatified, and we confess that he is sitting somewhere near the right hand of God, despite his troubled past and despite what some people have done with his memory and with the, the tool that he wielded um, that was used despite um, his own perhaps ill intent or uninformed intent. Um, and to remember, uh, and I think that's an encouragement for us all to remember um, that that regardless of how bad you might think you've been or the things that you've done, um, there's always an opportunity to reach out and, and touch someone rather than to uh, do anything else. Um, embrace somebody, call somebody if you're feeling like uh, you don't deserve very much because there's always going to be a battle buddy on the other end of that line. Um, and don't be surprised if your deepest depression might um, give way to your some of your um, brightest and 
most, um, most inspiring moments. A prayer for the right use of God's gifts from the Book of Common Prayer. Almighty God, whose loving hand has given us all that we possess, grant us grace that we may honor you with our substance, and, remembering the account which we must one day give, may be faithful stewards of your bounty through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for falling into First Formation, where Pew Pew HQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hardy folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll consider participating in one of the three following ways. First, you can support the podcast with a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash firstformation slash support. You can sponsor morning prayer for Pew Pew people with as little as a dollar a month and you can cancel at any time if I piss you off. Second, you can become a co-host by recording a weekday lectionary reading yourself and sending it to me to be included in an episode of your choosing. Instructions for co-hosts will be provided to you directly, and you don't have to be a grunt to participate in first formation in this or any way. Finally, and most importantly, you can send me your prayer requests of a minute or less with a recording app of your choice. Prayers may be added to a morning prayer episode, aired anonymously, if you wish, or kept private for me to pray for off-air. So there you have it, three ways to participate in morning prayers for Pew Pew people. I hope you'll continue to listen in and maybe even consider participating yourself. This has been Logan Isaac, always faithful, always family. Semper Familia.